You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission. I am Matt Davis flying solo today. Normally my co-host Jonathan Sheely is here, but he is out on assignment today. And so our guest is Dr. Jeff Reason, the director of Forest Glen Bible Camp in Brookfield, Nova Scotia. And for those of you who are geographically challenged, that is in the country of Canada, the eastern side of Canada. And so he has come a long ways to be with us today. Pastor Jeff Reason and his wife Jane have five children, 29 to 39, and six grandchildren. They've been ministering to churches in Nova Scotia for almost 40 years. That is an incredible legacy of ministry that we intend to explore and talk about today. They live on the Forest Glen Bible Camp property, and his first job was grocery store stocker and cashier. We have that in common. If you don't count the paper route, right? Like that, <laughs> I had a paper route, but my first real job was same thing, grocery store stocker. And there's a lot of mopping involved in mm, stocking as well. They don't tell you that part. It's not just the glamorous, you know, putting the cans on the, the shelf. There's a lot of behind the scenes too. Pastor Reese's favorite meal is fish, which is, I'm sure, a very different thing in Nova Scotia than it is here in Wisconsin. His hobbies include the occasional round of golf and working on the camp property. Although you're not a huge sports fan, you claim to watch the Toronto Maple Leafs, okay, the Toronto Blue Jays, the Miami Dolphins, and the Dallas Cowboys. That is quite a diverse little pool of uh, sports teams to pull for. <laughs> and uh, I guess congratulations are in order because you are a Texas Rangers fan, and they won the World Series. And my two Texas grandsons are really happy this morning, too. Oh, I bet. That is pretty <laughs> pretty fresh off the, the presses as far as that victory goes as we sit here today. And so welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So the Rangers – it looked for a minute there like the series was going to go back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden the Rangers just turned it on. Yes. That was a phenomenal performance in the World Series, wasn't it? It was amazing, especially not being at home, you know. Well, yeah, on the road to, <laughs> to, to clinch it like that. You got you had to think that the Diamondbacks had, by winning one of the road games, recovered a home field advantage, but didn't help, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, that was a fantastic finish. So, that was pretty awesome. And that is the first time, right, that the Texas Rangers ever won the World That's Series. That's right, yeah. There can't be too many teams left in that category. Right. Now, I was a long-suffering Cubs fan, so any downtrodden program, <laughs> I, I'm for you, man. I, I know what it's like. Yeah. So congratulations on that. And as a fan – yeah. It was all you. You yeah, did it. That's Way right. To go. Yeah. Pulling for yeah. them. Good job. <laughs> Grandsons and I, right? <laughs> that's right. You guys pull them right through. And uh, that, that's pretty awesome. As uh, as you talk about your first job, the grocery store stocker, do you remember the name of the grocery store? Yeah, it was called Clover Farm. My father owned it. Oh, your father owned it. Yeah. Well, that's almost cheating. I don't yeah, know if that did. counts. You yeah. Know? So you didn't have any uh, anxiety about whether you were going to get the job, right? Yeah, he just definitely put us in the job. Put it that way. Yeah, you didn't he have was definitely about making us work. Yep, and I'm glad. I mean, that yep. work ethic is a pretty important part of life, it even if huge. it's not the actual job you're going to do the rest of your life. I think uh, teenagers getting a little bit of work experience for a few bucks. Do you remember what you got paid? Of course, it was your dad, so maybe you it was probably know. a couple dollars an hour back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, nineteen. 90, I think it was when I started at the star market and it was two eighty five an hour was the training wage. Mm -hmm. And after six weeks or so, you're supposed to get 
bumped up a little bit and it never happened. And so I went to the owner after like months and I said, I'm still getting paid this like onboarding training wage, you know, and it's below minimum wage. And uh, I think, you know, you had mentioned we would see a bump. He got so mad at me and he cussed me out. And I'm like, what did I say? You know, of course, I thought I had made the mistake. Now, as an attorney, I look back and realize I should have sued him. You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> I had a good yeah. case. I could have had a class action. Yeah, you, know, you could have. Yeah, good, <laughs> good case. Put them right out of business, <laughs> which of course they are now. But it's been right. a long time. Anyway, we uh, we really are are looking forward to this conversation. Your testimony of faithfulness in an interesting area of the world, I think, will prove to be a compelling uh, and instructional. Uh, episode for us to discuss and good conversation. So we like to hit people with kind of a deep question right off the bat, and that is, what is your mission in life? Well, God called me to preach when I was 17 as I was seeking his will and what to do with my life. And when I sensed that that was his call, I want to invest myself in the lives of other people didn't know how, what that looked like at age of 17, but God began to work in my heart. I began to get involved more in my church and work with preachers and learn from other people. And through all of that and my father's influence on my life, primarily at that time, he knew the Lord. He used his business to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And he was very faithful about investing himself in the lives of other people than that grocery store. And there'd be times he'd be witnessing to individuals hmm. there in the store, the man that put the chips on the rack or the Coke or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. And uh, I saw him investing in his life and the lives of other people. So and, he was a Christian business professional back before they wrote all those books. That's you right. Know? I mean, he was yeah. just living his faith yeah. in the community. And where was that? That was in Texas? That was in Eastern North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Yeah, that's Western right. North Carolina. What's yeah. the Texas connection, by the way? <laughs> well, my, my grandsons live there. Oh, like okay. My oldest daughter so and her husband. Your heart is there, right? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. I understand. Where your treasure is. Okay, yeah, that's right. that's where that connection comes from. So you're in uh, North Carolina, and your dad is a Christian business owner, and you're all of a sudden believing, maybe the Lord's calling me into ministry, yeah. even at that age. Do you remember like how old you would have been? Yeah, I was 17 at 17. that time, okay. and he. it was a result of really the Christian school impact in my life, our local church, my family, and God began to really stir my heart about serving him full time. So I, I surrendered, and then I began to, my dad and mom would have a number of ministers into our home, and it was a real blessing to be able to have them come by. I can name a bunch of men that now right. want to be with the Lord. Did you have a Bible they all signed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have one of those, yeah, too. that's right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all these guys are with the Lord now, and I'm looking back going, man, I, oh, I didn't know I met them. You know, yeah, that's pretty I, neat. I, I, used to, I used to sit in some of those meetings. I thought, I wonder what it would be like if the Lord ever called me to preach, and I'd be signing those Bibles, you know? <laughs> that wasn't my main goal, but... Uh, <laughs> you know you really I never thought it would. I never thought it would be there, yeah. you know? <laughs> Somebody asked me to sign their Bible. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's awesome. But I guess my my mission began at that point. Mm. I just really felt the call of the Lord and wanted to train and move forward and do what God wanted. I didn't know what it would look like. Didn't know it. I ended up in Nova Scotia. But of course, that, that really started the, the mission in my life. So is that what you studied in college then? I studied Bible mm -hmm. and pastoral studies ministry and other courses as well. But that's how I— that's And you're introduced that. as doctor, so evidently you— well, continued that, in pursuit. Or how I, that, did that really come was about? an honorary. So uh -huh. one of those honorary degrees, as they say. So well, uh, <laughs> believe me, those are earned the hard way. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> right. That's so, incredible. Yeah. Did you did you do seminary at all, or did you go straight out? I did some undergrad? seminary. Yes. Okay. I did. Yeah. 
And so after you, at that point, you you started to feel like, okay, I need to get a job. I need to find where this is going to materialize. When did you start to think maybe Canada or maybe a foreign field? You know, do you consider yourself a missionary? Right. I'm a Baptist world mission. Yeah. Missionary. Okay. So at some point along the lines, you must have felt the Lord leading you specifically in that direction. How did that come about? Well, in college, I was on church planning team, which meant there were five of us serving with a faculty member of the university I attended. And we saw through nine weeks of ministry, great opportunities to do evangelism, personal mm-hmm. evangelism, have services at night, knocked on doors. And God used that in my life in college to give me a real burden for church planning ministry. And Is that then, Dr. Holmes? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Otis Holmes. A lot yeah. of people point to Dr. Holmes and his, he had a church planting program right. at, at BJ yeah. at the time, right? Correct. A lot of people I've heard that have talked about the influence. Okay, so let me, can I put a pause sure, on your story yeah. for a second and right ask here. you about that? Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't get to meet him. What What did he do that was so impactful for you? Now you look back 40 plus years ago. What, what did he do? How did he have such an impact on you as a, a mentor? He loved the Lord. He is a student of the word, and he just wanted young men that were going out in the ministry to be balanced in their academics and their practical ministry that God had given them. And he put us out there on the field. I had him for a class, church planning class. And when you left that class, you know how to baptize, you know how to do funerals, oh, you know yeah. how to yeah, do yeah. weddings, you know it all, right? <laughs> At least you thought you did. Did you practice on each other? Yeah, and yeah actually of course. you did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a very practical class. Yeah. And there have been many guys I've talked to to look back to those days and realize how practical it was when they had mm-hmm. to do it the first time for each other. Oh, those. believe me, nerve-wracking. Well, even given announcements in church, you don't realize, you know, everybody yeah. takes for granted that you know how to flow a, a service from one thing to the next or, yeah. you know, presiding. There's a lot of details and a good pastor makes it seem easy, but True, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But you know, he had a real burden for souls. Mm. He really wanted to see people know the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so during that summer, we started in Manhattan and we were on the streets. We were on the street witnessing, street preaching. Um, we were just going, talking wow. to all kinds of people about the Lord, trying to help a local church. Did you find people to be somewhat receptive to that in Manhattan? There was a variety there in Manhattan, okay. for sure. And this yeah. goes back to 1978, but there yeah. still were a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to get the gospel out. And sure. So his passion for preaching, his passion for reaching souls was impactful in my life during that time. Mm. And that was just one more step in God showing me the mission and calling he had for my life. So I had a real burden for church planning as a result of that. Okay. And then finished college, finished seminary, and said, Lord, what do you want us to do next? Had you and, met your wife along yeah, the way we, here? Yeah, we, had, we sure had. We had okay. met early in, our, in my college life. Her dad came to North Carolina to be my pastor. Uh-oh. And that's when I met her. She was already in college. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's so how that worked. You met her in church, technically. Right. Yeah. All right. Good place to meet that's a spouse. That's right. Absolutely. Right? That's where yeah. I met my wife. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and so you ended up meeting your wife. You guys got married when? Right after? Did you wait till you graduated undergrad? Well, we had graduated. Okay. It was like a semester after we graduated, so end of 79. Yeah. Looking back, was that good timing? Yeah, it was. Yeah. You wouldn't have done it differently? I was glad we got out first. Yeah. Okay. At least the undergrad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. So then you finish seminary, and now as a team, you and your wife are looking for the next thing. Yeah, I, I went to a couple of men to get some uh, advice about what to do, mm. and there was an offer that was made available to me to lead a dormitory of men. 
hmm. and uh, my wife to work at the magazine at the time called yep. Pay for the Family. Yeah. And so I accepted it. You were a dorm soup. Yeah. Dorm nice. supervisor. Had about 350 guys there. and Yeah. Probably handed out a lot time. of demerits. <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience with dorm soup. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, at, least, at least at the university at that time, yeah. yeah. But that was one more step in the Lord's direction in my life. I yeah. really believe that. Most people probably wouldn't do that after they've already finished their, their, their schooling, right? Their college. You were literally just a full-time dorm soup then at that point. Well, I actually was oh. offered more in a GA ship, and I took it. Okay. But they, they asked me to stay, so I did. And I just All took right. some more courses and so forth. But yeah. then the next year, it was full-time. So it was, it was a great opportunity. Again, I had done that two years as a hall leader in the dormitory. And this just gave me great opportunities, a lot of preaching to the guys oh, yeah. in the hall and so forth. And I guess the Lord used that in my life in a, in a great way because that summer between those two years, guess where we went? Nova Scotia. Ah. And we helped lead the Nova Scotia ministry team that was out there that summer. That just is where the team was going and that so, year. And so ah. we we uh, went there and nine weeks of ministry there. And God just burdened us everywhere we went. This place needs the gospel. This place needs a church. And we invested ourselves in every way that summer. And the students that were there on the team and also to the places where we ministered. Was the camp already there? No. Okay. No. So the camp is kind of your hub, but there's a whole lot of churches that's been that have been planted or that need support around that area, mm-hmm. and you're kind of got a hand in all of them somehow. Is that how, how yeah, it the currently camp, works? The I mean, camp, yes, it currently forward. works that way. Yeah. It, it does, and it's kind of like a hub. A lot of the churches come. Mm-hmm. Um, see, back before social media, a lot of those churches didn't know the other one existed. Their ah. youth groups are two or three or four. Okay. And so when they come into camp and they'll see 75, 80 or so teenagers for a week camp, it's like a church with uh, 20 teenagers going to a large Christian camp in the States or something. You know, they really mm-hmm. are excited about being there and finding each other. And oh, so that's why God's done through the camp. You can't fathom what an encouragement yeah, that is to a yeah. teenager to know that they're not the only one. They're from a very small youth group, maybe a couple of kids. And then you mm-hmm. have the, these these opportunities to get together, whether it's a area youth activity or rally mm-hmm. or whether it's a, a camp and you go, oh, I'm not such a weirdo after all. I mean, you might actually be a weirdo, but you know, when it comes down to uh, your faith and what you believe, you, you have felt like an outsider this entire entire time. And now you're meeting other teens of like faith. That is, that is so encouraging. That's, a, am sure, a primary element of the camp ministry as well. But going right. back to that calling, I mean, there's there's not any of that then back at that point, just need, just opportunity. And somehow along the way, you and your wife decide maybe maybe the Lord's got something here for us. That's right. Yeah, was I came there, back. Was there the, somebody there? There must have been somebody there. Oh, yeah, in Nova okay. Scotia, yes. Yeah, definitely a number, number of churches scattered around, but, okay. but very few at, at that time. Wow. And I guess after we came back at the end of that summer— we were just so overwhelmed with the need in so many different places and uh, literally could not get away from the need there. Hmm. And so by that fall, I just really sensed wife and I did that God was calling us there. Wow. So we, we resigned everything. Was there out on faith? Going there must have been a good level of unity between you both. God was working in, in both of your hearts. Was it kind of a simultaneous thing or? 
Yeah, it was. We prayed yeah. about it. My wife had been an exchange student in Brazil at 16. She later uh, went in the early college years, went to Brazil again for six months to work with a missionary. So missions were, really was already in her heart. So mm. she That's uh, helpful. Yeah. So she was, <laughs> yeah, she'd been a pastor's daughter all those years. She'd seen ministry and what yeah. it looked like. And so. Well, was, you could look back and see the rewards, but at <clears> the time, you don't know any of that. Right. And it had to feel that there was a cost involved in that decision. Can you mm -hmm. talk about what your calculation was and how to decide what the cost would be and whether it was something you thought you should, <clears throat> should I mean, people think of giving up mm -hmm. the conveniences, the family. I mean, what, what does that look like for a prospective missionary who's responding to this call of God? There's excitement. There's opportunity, but then there's some other things that you better make a clear-eyed decision about. What does that look like? Well, you're stepping out on faith without funds, so to speak, and you're on deputation. We were a young couple. Um, my wife was expecting our first child while we were on deputation. And so we really were trusting the Lord for his next steps in our life. And uh, we did not realize at the time that God gave us a beautiful little girl hmm. in August of 1983 before we went to the field, and we were so thankful for that. But into her third day, very healthy child at birth, uh, complications set in, hmm. and it was the Lord's will that, that he took her home to heaven to be with him. Oh, my goodness. And, and so uh, you didn't even have any inkling that there was a problem no. When she was born or during the pregnancy? No yeah. It just got complicated after that. But oh. God God uh, uh, took us through the grieving process for sure. It was not easy. I think about it even though it was 40 years ago this past summer. She would have been 40. Wow. But um, I, I know God used it in our lives to help us know him better and to be able to trust him more. And we took about a month off to kind of recoup with family and so forth. And, and then we got back on the deputation trail. And, and in a matter of a few months, the Lord had uh, raised all our support for us, and, and we were on the field. A tragedy like that could very easily knock you off of at least the confidence that this is what God wanted you to do mm -hmm. or whether God was even mm -hmm. worth serving. Right. I'm sure you wrestled through some of those things. But ultimately, you concluded it's time to get back on track. Yeah, I had that moment in my life. Matter of fact, when we were leaving, I was leaving the hospital in Wilson, North Carolina, uh, at a distance following the ambulance going over to Duke uh, Hospital. I had those questions, Lord, why? You know, I've surrendered my life to the Lord. And it why doesn't, Lord, it doesn't make sense. But You, you know, you're, you're giving up everything. Yeah. You're willing yeah. to go and do this. Uh, it's it's not supposed to happen like this. Yeah. But through the encouragement of others and even in the Word, um, I realize that, that God is always God, mm. and God is always good. Even those that look good to us, all things work together for good, the Bible says. Mm. And I, I have now, after all these years, been able to see and experience that good God mm -hmm. and see those things that were then future have turned out good mm. and in God's plan. Well, that wasn't the plan, but God sometimes has other plans, and our faith 
has to survive those those turns in the road. Yeah. In the road. It's not an easy path. I'll never say yeah. it's easy. Yeah, and you grieve like anybody. Yeah, but but God blessed on deputation, and you were able to raise the support. Yeah, and now you find yourself you picked a city to locate in, and through some circumstances, I guess, figured out. Okay, here's where we're gonna. I mean, do you just immediately jump into church planting? And what does that look like in Nova Scotia? We were looking at, at uh, planting a church in a particular part of Nova Scotia and thinking about which direction to go, where to plant it. And there were two groups of people in fishing villages, about a half an hour apart. They had been meeting and never had a pastor before. They had a man that traveled three hours away to preach for them. Mm. And I went to visit those people uh, while I was on deputation. And when I went there to see them, and preach. There were a number of them that were in their 30s, a lot of young people, a lot of teenagers. I mean, small fishing villages. And those people were so hungry to hear the Word of God and to see their their children and teenagers come and know the Lord. They just didn't have a shepherd. Mm-mm. And I was, they, they weren't totally self-supporting. And I, I prayed about it, and God burned us to go there. And I went to those two fishing villages and God did some some marvelous things there in those years I was there. Where did the church meet? In they the had the, they had their own buildings. Did they? Yeah, they did have a couple of old buildings. They sure had. But it it was it was an amazing place because out of those mm. small fishing villages, we saw a number of young people called in the ministry. Really, we saw a lot of kids saved. I mean, they're willing and, to uh, call you as a twenty-something newlywed, yeah. <laughs> newlywed with <That's> right. zero <laughs> pastoral experience. Yeah. Well, you know, give this guy a chance. You know, That's right? Yeah, <laughs> this, That's what they did. This uh, this North Carolina American. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. sure you had a lot in common with the <laughs> the fishing villages, first, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so you had to really connect culturally and and certainly theologically and in ministry. And, you know, mm-hmm. at, at some point the church begins to grow and, and I guess you didn't stay there forever or is that still where you're at? Right. Or? No, it's okay. not. Yeah, yeah. I was on that Eastern shore for about eight and a half years. Um, I had those two churches and I had a burden for another area about a half an hour farther away from one of the churches that didn't have a, a gospel witness in it at all, another fishing village. So I started reaching up there with evangelistic meetings, vacation Bible school, and it was on the first night of the evangelistic meetings I preached that a man responded, which is unusual for a man sure. to walk an aisle. But he was he was a man that had alcohol issues and known in the public. And anyway, God really worked in his heart and changed his life that like night. Like the most unlikely guy ever. Yeah. And, and wow. he was one of the charter members of that church. So I planted Baby Baptist Church. So for two and a half years, I had three churches during that time. Oh, that had to be fun. Yeah, it was exciting. <laughs> Glad I was young. Zoom. And- <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you weren't live streaming back to the other satellite campuses. No, there was no such thing as live stream. Matter of fact, in the community I lived in, they still had party telephone lines. Oh, really? So most people don't know really what a party telephone school. line is, but uh. no, we've described them before on the podcast. Trust me. I bet you have. Yeah, but that's uh, that's pretty wild, and you're you're putting a lot of miles on the car, I guess. Yeah, between all these different churches, and that's not just a Sunday thing. That's all throughout the week. A, a pastor's role yeah. isn't just a one day. A week no, thing. yeah, it was, it was busy most of the days. It sure was. But yeah. we saw a number of people saved and baptized. We were able to baptize in the harbor and also in in the river and in the bay. That's fun. Three different places there That's in fun. those fishing villages. Where we're doing what is the weather like up there? Just give me a little bit of a mental picture. Is it similar to what? 
I probably have here in Wisconsin, or is it uh, close? Okay. Yeah, yeah, close. We we get a fair bit of snow, but we do have it's moderated some by the the coast. The coast, yeah, yeah. So it's, I uh, figured it might be a little warmer actually, even though it's probably farther at, north at times. But those years during that time was where God really worked in the hearts of many people, and praise Him for what He did. Matter of fact, uh, there was a, a young lady who was saved in that church I told you we planted. A young lady, um, her name is Jennifer. And she accepted Christ when I had the vacation Bible school when I was reaching into that new area and trying to give the gospel in that area. And, yeah. and Jennifer accepted Christ, and we saw that she had some piano ability, and she had never taken any lessons. But we oh really just a natural talent. Yeah, you really wow, she's yeah. been playing. So we encouraged her when she was twelve to get on the piano and start playing for some of the services, and she learned two or three songs and played them on the, on that weekend, and <laughs> and that's how things went. And uh, so she grew up and became uh, a teacher, studied in university there, music, and been faithful all these years in a strong Bible-preaching church there in the Halifax area. And um, matter of fact, she's the one that had a great impact on a student here at Maranatha. Well, and I know, I suspect which student that is. Is it uh, Rihanna Eastwood? <laughs> it is, and yeah. And she is a phenomenal musician, but mm -hmm. even a better young lady and, yeah, and, and young Christian. And uh, she has even traveled from Maranatha a couple times and represented the ministry here musically and and uh, yeah. in recruiting and things like that. And trust me, you, you send the best and brightest <laughs> out, you know, as a recruit. So thank you, all well, right, for just a me, as others, second our generation impact her. that we're benefiting from. That's incredible. Yeah. That's the legacy of faithfulness, the Lord's work over changing a life, changing, you know, a direction, a trajectory yeah. of a life. And then what God will do with with a faithful word of testimony and how that can compound like over generations. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh, wonderful to see the Lord work all, all through the process here, you know, uh, how it came about and the impact one life has on the other. And, and to me, that's part of our mission statement. How is my life going to impact another life that's going to impact another life? Now, tell me about <clears throat> Forest Glen Bible Camp. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what the camp is like today, and then I want to find out like when this thing started. And did you have a hand in starting yes. it? I assume. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and so what is it like today? Well, fortunately, Bible Camp has a number of summer events, uh, spring and fall, and we have a winter retreat as well. It was an old Kiwanis camp falling apart. Hmm. Literally summer, summer only, no insulation on the property anywhere, no oh, covered boy. walls or ceilings anywhere. So this was very hmm. rustic. You can picture that. <laughs> yeah. Like a structure, basically, uh -huh. you know, without any covering. Yeah. And um, so today we've been able to build a number of buildings, winter ready in most buildings. And it is a ministry of the churches there in the maritime provinces, which are Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. We have had some come from Quebec and Ontario and even Newfoundland before. And it's really a church where the uh, churches that are there are coming so their young people can really know who the Lord is and develop a relationship with the Lord and have a lot of fun while they're doing it. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of in the hub of Nova Scotia, really. So you, you can travel even in New Brunswick within three or four hours of the camp in any direction. And you'll find a lot of these churches scattered in some of these places. Now, I think Ray and the team made it up to the yeah, camp this yeah, last summer, right. right? I mean, yep. that was 
that was the hope. I don't know if they made it all the way. They were at camp. <laughs> we worked for, worked to make that happen. Yeah, they worked at the camp. And uh, hopefully days. they were a blessing. They were you know, a blessing. While they were there. Yeah. How many weeks in the summer do you get to to operate? Well, there's some variety in our ministry. Okay. Besides May, in May we have like ladies retreat, work okay. days. We have a fine arts program mm-hmm. for young people like Christian schools do here. Oh. We adjudicate the kids in arts. Oh, you do like a competition. Yeah. Oh, fun. All of that. Rayanna's been in that for years, ever since she was a little girl. I'm sure she, she won every time, yeah. <laughs> so that happens in May. And then in June, we have a mission emphasis. We bring in churches from various places in the States that come in with a mission team, and they'll get involved in a church. They get involved on site, whatever they can do, you know, physically work or whatever to help us prepare. Mm-hmm. School's not out to the end of June there, so you can't have oh, your typical wow. camps until Man, that's you get brutal. into early July. End of June? Yeah. Oh. So we'll have a men's retreat that month. We'll I didn't realize a- Canada had gone so far communist. Man. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well, they start school later, too. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's how it works in, in our summer yeah. program. Yeah. And you're here recruiting on campus. I'll give you a chance to pitch, you know, what, what it is you're looking for. Well, we're, we're looking for college students that really have a heart for the Lord, that want to be the Lord's servant and on a different field. They'll have camp experience. They'll have church experience mm-hmm. and a great opportunity to see what another field's like. And will you give them free room and board? Give them free room and board. Absolutely. Amazing. What a deal. You get to serve the Lord. Feed them fish if they'll come. In an exotic foreign country. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Might even get lobster if they're really good. Wow. (laughs) Let's go. You know, they used to serve lobster to prisoners in Maine. They they thought of them as junk. (laughs) Yeah, they used to throw it away one time. See, they thought it was just nothing. Oh, this is gross. Yeah, it turns out. Pretty good delicacy. Yeah. <laughs> if you work hard enough, you know, you got to work hard to get to that good stuff. So the camp, that's what it is today. Tell me about how it started. I'd love to hear about that. It started with uh, the BJU team that was involved at the time. They would come up and they would reach out and help churches and Bible schools. And so there was a leader on that team and his assistant that were really interested in having a place where they could kind of call base. And so in the end of 88, and then in that summer, um, along with other pastors there who've been praying for a while, I was one of those because I went there in 84, we've been praying for a central camp location. So it was a really a collective effort of prayer and interest and in trying to locate a place. We were using another facility that uh, was a, that was owned by another group up there. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to have a place that we could operate and move forward together in camp. Well, uh, around the turn of 90, the team no longer came officially, and then one of the missionaries that were working there, God called him on somewhere else, and hmm. and I was pastoring these churches, like I told you, and just I just wanted to be a support help plenty to help, it. Plenty busy. Yeah. I started family camp in 85 <laughs> at another location, okay. and just wanted our people to be blessed and encouraged through family gatherings. Well, literally, I had to pray again, Lord, is your next step in my life? to be involved in a greater way in Christian camping. Hmm. And uh, I wrestled with that for a little while, and, and the Lord said yes. Hmm. And during that time period, that would have been in, in the early 90s there, we had a number of churches in Nova Scotia without pastors. Hmm. And um, I got a burden to help them. So I was developing camp, the buildings, trying to build a building. I hadn't built any buildings yet that were new and trying to develop the philosophy and everything that goes along with almost like starting over. And God really gave me opportunities to be able to reach in some of those churches that needed leadership too. Are you pretty handy? 
Not really. That was that was the amazing part of the call. <laughs> so I've become a little more handy since then. I think but, it'd have uh, to be to be a camp director. But, but I, God help me pick brains and uh-huh. uh, pick people that Sounds really like had, you this, had good you know, level of support from yeah. other churches. Yeah, that's right. We did. So did you go to camp when you were a kid? You know, I was not a camper. So you had to kind of reinvent this thing from scratch. I I did. Wow. But but I had a a burden for young people. I Mm. led youth groups and ministered to young people and so forth before I ever went to Nova Scotia. What would you say is unique about Forest Glen? Well, Forest Glen really meets a need in the churches that I don't think could be met in any other way. One is is the training they can get there, not only for what they hear like normal U.S. camps would hear in the preaching about their heart and their lives and trying to get right mm-hmm. with God and serve Him, but they come in and back and they help us there on site and very much involved. Um, as I said, they come together for this fine arts training mm-hmm. and we try to mentor those young people because I went there to strengthen and plant and pastor local churches. Yeah. And as if Christian camping is helping to accomplish that goal, then I feel like I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. If it's not accomplishing that goal, then you know I'm not I'm not there just to you know have camp per se. I'm there to help right. reach lives and mentor lives and see them develop, see them involved in leadership there at camp and moving forward. And so that's the need. It's meaning because there are very very few Christian schools there. I see. And so these kids— This is primarily their grounding. This is the place where they can mm. come and they can grow, they can learn, mm. they can serve. And when they serve, we, we send out a team of four or five uh, college students and some high school students, if they're there for the weekend, out to churches to help on Sunday. And so they're getting that practical experience as well. So you see a primary part of your mission with the camp is the ministry and mentoring of the staff. The, That's right. Those that come to to serve, and most of them now are Canadian. Okay, most of them are from the Maritime provinces. They've grown up in camp. You've had Got now involved. alumni of the camp. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. want to come back and serve. Yeah, and Rayanne is an example of that, of course. Yeah, and others that are here at school. We got like five students from that area. Do you? Mm-hmm. So, well, it's like a pipeline. I keep them coming. <laughs> um, the 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 written mission statement I asked you ahead of, ahead of our sitting down together today, and you, you kind of wrote out for me, to, to glorify God using the unique aspects of Christian camp, which we've just talked about, to communicate the gospel. So there's an evangelistic element to the camp. That's right. Process. There is. We give the gospel. And obviously that's a central element, not just for coming to know the Lord, but even for those of us that are, are saved, the yeah. gospel doesn't end at salvation in that sense. You, you say here to strengthen families. So so what is that aspect of the camp ministry? We have uh, two family camps in July, and families will come. Again, it's like the teenagers. They're finding each other. They get mm. to meet new people. Yeah. Their kids get to meet other kids, and they're very much a part of that week. You know, and it'd be just like any camp here probably as far as going and getting the sessions, having the fun times and mm-hmm. getting to know new people, share yeah. their burdens with each other and that sort of thing. So that's the strengthening of the families. And oftentimes the speakers we have will focus in on that area of topics that will help the family. I would say, too, even the youth camp still <clears throat> helps to strengthen the families. I mean, that, that really comes alongside 
those parents. And I can remember specific times when my boys would come back from camp <clears throat> and talk about things that the Lord had laid on their hearts or taught them or decisions that they had made. And there's just something unique about that camp experience mm-hmm. of going away and putting aside the distractions, maybe some unproductive friend, friendships or relationships, right. and just focusing in on what God's trying to trying to tell us. So many times that that Holy Spirit prompting is crowded out by the distractions of the world, that still small voice, we don't hear it. Mm-hmm. And there's something unique, isn't there, about camp that isolates us to allow us to to hear and respond. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's a captivated audience there for, I call it 24-5 opportunity, you know, where you can have them. And 24-5? Yeah, yeah, I like five that. Five <laughs> days, 24 hours, and be able to really minister to them. Because I mean, that happens... In services, outside of services, little playground it happens before they go to bed. You know, All right, let me like, let me ask you about that. Is there a uniqueness? Have you detected a uniqueness to each of the five days? Is there like a flow of the camp week? There the, really is. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, like? people are kind of looking at each other. You know, some of them know one another, some of them don't. And especially when you have those that are going in the, we call it grade seven up there, and they're going into grade seven and coming into teen week. And Awkward. Everything's big for them. <laughs> I mean, the juniors have just kind of landed at teen camp, right? Yeah, I was the big fish last year. Now yeah, I'm, I'm a little fish. A yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so my dad used to call me as a junior hire. So usually <laughs> when they come in by Monday afternoon and through Monday night and even into Tuesday, they're just kind of feeling their way. Okay, sure. And also the preaching. We don't always give an invitation maybe the first night, but we do give yeah. an Invitations often during the week, yeah, and it's an opportunity for the counselor to have more one-on-one with them too, establishing that rapport and relationship. And then on Tuesday, and, and particularly by the time you get to to Wednesday morning, it seems like now there's more of a bond with their cabin. There's a little more interest in what's going on. I mean, they've been, you know, they're there to stay, right? They're not yeah, going anywhere, right? And so you're, it's building on itself. Every session, every every talk you have one-on-one with them, and by the time you get to Wednesday. We sense there's a real moving of the Lord in the hearts of some of them. Mm. And maybe even if they were cold earlier in the week. Um, we had a boy come one time, an unsaved boy, and I'll never forget the first night he asked his counselor the question. I heard about it Tuesday morning at our staff meeting. He asked the question, where is God? Does he live around here? He had no understanding of who God was. Whoa. And so what a great opportunity it was for that counselor to be able to introduce God to him. And I, I said to the staff on that, that next day, I said, did you hear what that young man just said? He wants to know where God is. And we have the opportunity to show him where God is mm-hmm. this week so they can get an understanding that he's real in our lives and they need to be impactful in his life. Yeah. And by the time Thursday came around, that young man had responded to the truth, accepted mm. Christ as his Savior. That's so, a long ways to go in a week, yeah. in four days, yeah. you know, That's to right. go from no concept. And and are you finding that young people today have less and less familiarity with the things of God or even just basically what Christians in general think or believe? Well, they do. Yeah, yeah we're finding that very much so up there. I mean, it's changed so much than it was when I, we first started with this. And because more and more people are not going to church, yeah, many of them are claiming to be atheists. But the way I see it, an atheist has to believe in something. He has to have enough belief, enough belief to to reject, you know, God. Enough to, enough belief yeah. to reject all the things we see that came into being, you know, by God and so Yeah, forth. you wouldn't so, reject all that, yeah. without doing he, some investigation, would you? <laughs> he's believing something, <laughs> yeah, right? For sure, for sure, we do see that. Yeah, but if you were to watch media movies, uh, 
television. Uh, I don't know if anybody watches television anymore, but uh, music, the entertainment industry, it's it's completely godless. And it's it's not e- even so antagonistic anymore as it is just God is like treated as irrelevant, as, as uh, not even an afterthought. They don't refer to it. The characters don't go to church. They don't talk about God. They don't, it's, religion isn't the thing. They don't want to offend anybody. So they just don't, they just completely ax it out of any storyline or mm-hmm. any character or any person. And then your parents don't talk about it. Your school doesn't talk about it. You don't go to, you've never been to a church. You might've passed one. A lot of them are boarded up anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> and young people are growing up with literally, like you're saying, no concept yeah. of God, let alone the Lord Jesus or their need for a savior, any of those things. And and yet somehow they end up at a Bible camp. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Lord right there. That is true. And we do find some of that comes from imitation. I, I think what that, the link to getting to those people, I believe is for us as believers to still have a desire to fulfill the Great Commission. We can't give up. And if we don't do it in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the othermost part of the earth, like Second Corinthians 4 says, if mm. our gospel be hid, it's hid to those that are lost. Yeah. And those people we're talking about, they're in the lost category. Mm. They won't know truth. And we are the ambassadors. We are the ones to communicate that message. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm burdened about giving out tracts. I'm burdened about people knowing the truth. You know, that, wait, that, wait, wait. That's you, part of you, your mission. You, your church planting days are behind you, right? Your street pe- preaching, passing out tracks, knocking on doors. That you don't do that anymore. It's never right? over. <laughs> it's never <laughs> over. Yeah. I, I, I speak as a fool. All right? I, know, I, know I, knew, that, I knew where right? you're going. <laughs> but that's always it, throughout life. I mean, the Great Commission. Yeah. You don't outgrow. You don't no. step up to some level of you know. Yeah. executive level of Christianity yeah, right. where other people you've delegated your your witnessing your personal evangelism. And I don't think it can ever be done just because okay I did it check it I did it check mm-hmm. I did it check and mm-hmm. I I think as believers we have to constantly be asking God to give us an ongoing burden and the same passion that Christ had when he walked this earth. And you see that illustrated in his life so yeah. many places and so many times. And he even said as Simon came to it and and said, you know, all these people are seeking after you. All men seek for you. And he'd been casting out demons and healing people in Capernaum. And he said, we need to go to the next towns and preach there also. And that's the passion of Christ. Keep on giving the gospel. Mm. And if it's a burden that I have still to do that, even after these years. But only God can keep that in our hearts. Yeah, you know, He's the only one that can do that. The third element of your mission statement says to equip servant leaders for great commission ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you want to talk a minute about not just, we've talked about your personal engagement with great commission ministry, but this seems to be talking about a second order effect or ministry, but that's not probably going to happen by accident. So you must be somewhat intentional about that. Well, when we have mission teams come, for one, for the American kids, they are able to have that moment of experience and investment and challenging them about missions. We seek to do that as a part of this. And for the kids that are there, we obviously try to get them burdened about their own Jerusalem. You know, how can you best serve in your local church? Because it really starts right there, serving in their local church. And from there... God will continue to use them in some way in missions. Yeah, It starts in Jerusalem for all of us, really. You're saying that an effective missionary 
doesn't turn into a soul winner when he gets to the foreign field. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> you might try, but you 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 will. There's nothing not like magical anything. that happens it when you cross happen. the border. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's been a conversation. Mission boards yeah. have that conversation mm. with prospects and yeah, saying, you know, "Tell me what you're doing now." It's that's not going to exactly just exactly right. Yeah, that's why I think in the mentoring process, it's so important to convey that to to this generation of believers, to the young people. What are you doing today to reach people for Christ? And let them answer that question, mm. not where, where am I going to be or how am I going to do all this? And now what are you doing today? Yeah. Because it's kind of like our whole Christian growth process. It starts today and continues tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And in the next day, it's the same way with our call. At this season of life for you, how have your priorities adjusted as you think about this mission, some of it is sort of retrospective, but there's still yet some prospective element to it. Yeah. So what, what, how does this mission maybe at this stage of life for you, um, you thinking about retiring, you thinking about, you know, retiring to Florida and hanging it up or, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you have plans in future, you know, we never know what our health is going to do or mm-hmm. things like that. Those are in the Lord's hands. But what's different now about maybe the focus of your ministry and what you're thinking about versus in those formative days 40-plus years ago? Well, I focused for a few years has has been particularly trying to engage other young men that come to work with us and lay the burden upon their heart of what Christian camping can do Mm -hmm. if if God should call them in it and in missions and church planning. So that's been some of my focus. It's it's always been kind of mentoring other guys, but I guess you should say the older you get, the more you see the need to pick that up, even mm-hmm. more so. And yeah. um, I have certainly been uh, willing to do whatever God wants me to do any time over these years, whether it's to take a church, going to full-time evangelism, or whatever God wants me to do. But God has kept us on this track all this time, and I feel like we'll continue to stay on it. It may come down to health, like you said. And then there's some decisions that have to be made. Yeah, uh, I am delegating more. Yeah, I am trying to pull more people in. I am, you know, looking more and more for that person or persons that would kind of take our place and yeah. go forward. And God continues to work and lead in that way. Is there enough work to go around still? Or there's a lot of work to go around. Yes, oh, okay. for sure. Yeah, there's several <laughs> churches good. now with no pastor. Somebody wants to come. They can Is take that right? One of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of my focus right now. Um, trying to constantly lay before the other young men, ladies that are there, what camp's all about yeah. and how it needs to go forward with the Lord uh, directing every step. So that's kind of the way I see it right now. I mean, retiring is not something in my playbook, so to speak. Um, it, I want to keep preaching wherever I am and yeah. try to keep reaching people. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the ministry is that you can, you know, as long as the Lord gives you breath, there's something you can do. That's right. Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate your testimony of faithfulness over many, many years. I'm sure there's so much more we could mine and explore in four decades plus of ministry, uh, things the Lord's taught you along the way. And that's I appreciate your transparency to share the ups and the downs. Mm. And to be honest, that, listen, it's not some smooth, upward, constantly, you right. know, the next upward thing uh, pathway, but rather it's it's true that God has been faithful to you every step of the way. Yeah. And that you can look back now and see that in ways that you maybe couldn't at the time. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I appreciate that. Uh, Forest Glen Bible Camp and the ministries up there are incredible partners here for us at Maranatha. We pray for you. Uh, We appreciate you. And uh, we encourage you. Keep it up. Keep it up. We need you. 
Uh, we need each other in partnerships like this. And um, I appreciate the students you've sent. You sent us some great ones. Keep it up. And uh, I know God will bless. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate the privilege to be with you. It's my pleasure to come today. Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.